Well, yesterday, uh, not yesterday, but last week we talked about contentment. This week we're going to talk not about an opposite virtue, but a complementary virtue. Contentment has the idea of resting and realizing and appreciating. Today we're going to talk about fighting in the faith. So, two verses today. 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12. Read with me, if you would. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. My question for you today is this. I want you to think about this. If Christ's yoke is easy, and it is easy, why is the way to life hard? Why is there an easy yoke, but a hard way? Why is that? And maybe that's not a question you've wrestled with yourself, but I've often thought about that, and I think the answer is actually obvious. The, it, the, the way is hard, not because God makes the way hard. His yoke, Christ's yoke is easy, and his burden is light. The way is hard because when you become a Christian, you are now moving in the opposite direction of the world. And you are set in conflict with what is untrue and with what is evil and with what is passing away. And because the current of the world is now moving against you and you are moving against it. Has anyone ever gone salmon fishing? Todd, I know you've gone salmon fishing. <laughs> now, I've gone salmon fishing. I did not catch one the one time I went. But salmon swim against the current. They swim upstream. It's hard for them, not because water is hard to swim in for them, necessarily. It's hard for them, and they have to press forward, and they have to fight because they're moving against the current. They're moving upstream. And so, I think an identical thing is happening in the Christian life. Christians live and move against the current of the world. And as they live towards holiness and eternal life, it is uphill and against and, and the world, the flesh, and the devil are moving in the opposite direction, trying to pull you in the opposite direction. And that is why the fight is necessary. So in the passage I just read, just two simple verses, Paul is urging Timothy to a quickened life of spiritual intensity to fight against the world of flesh and the devil. My, the thing I would like to get into us today is that the Christian life is not given to us on a bed of roses. Um, it's, as Jesus said, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Or no, not Jesus, Paul said that. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. 
So the spiritual life, understand, is sometimes about realizing your identity in Christ. Sometimes it's about letting go and trusting God in the midst of anxiety and fear. Sometimes it's about resting in God instead of constantly striving to find his favor. But very often, what you must do in the Christian life is fight, and to do it with the strength that God supplies, because you are set in opposition against the world. So today, the scripture calls us to a more zealous, robust, muscular, violent Christian life. A holy violence, the Puritans used to talk about. A devoutness. Four key words today are flee, pursue, fight, and take hold. That's my outline. And, and let me tell you, I, I have gone through seasons of spiritual dryness in my life. <coughs> and that has happened recently as well. And sometimes I sit and wonder why I'm, I'm spiritually dry. And the Lord reminded me recently that it's because I hadn't, have not been seeking Him like I had in the past. So I'm re I was reminded of the passage, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So it's when you seek me with all your heart, that's when you'll find me. And so I was just telling Khalil this before I walked up. And so I have devoted myself now again to a more extensive, intentional times of prayer where I am truly seeking the Lord, laying my burdens upon him, casting my cares on him, asking for his strength. I forget the psalm. But I love the psalm that says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Seek that. Seek the Lord's strength and seek the Lord's presence continually in your life. So, flee. The first thing we must do as Christians is flee worldliness. Flee means to create distance between us and the temptations that tend to lead us astray in the Christian life. The things that Paul's talking about are found in verse 4 and verse 10 of the chapter we're looking at. We saw that the false teachers in Ephesus have an unhealthy craving for controversy and division. And in verse 10, we see that they have a love of money. And it has led many of them astray. And to wander. And the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So, Paul says to flee these things. And we are to flee as Christians because... Because we are, we are not of the world. We are to flee worldliness because we are currently not of the world. So Paul calls Timothy, O man of God. And that contrasts Timothy with the false teachers who are divisive, 
and who have a love of money. So the Timothy is not of born again. He is born again, born of God. You're born of your parents physically when you come into this world and you are born of God when you become a Christian. And now you are a man or a daughter of God. You are a child of God. And it is in virtue of that reality that you are to live towards your calling. So your identity, O man of God or, or, or O woman of God, is not just something to be realized. It is something to live towards. It's a calling. When you become a man of God, when you become a woman of God, it's not just your identity, it's your calling. So that's why Paul says, But you, O man of God, in opposition to the world, flee these things. Not only create distance, but that's moving in the other direction as well. It's the direction of repentance. Repentance literally is to about face, to turn from and to turn to. So... The reason Paul tells Timothy to flee is because he is a man of God. And we flee, obviously, because these things in the world are dangerous. And I think that there are many temptations in the world that have a, a gravitational pull on you. And gravity can throw you off course. From what I understand... Sometimes big rocks in outer space are just flying past the earth, but it's the earth's gravity that pulls it in because it's getting too close to the earth's orbit. So sometimes I think Christians can get pulled in by the gravity of temptation. Think of temptation not just something, as something that arises from within you, although it does, Temptation is also something that has a gravitational pull in virtue of what's out there. So Paul tells Timothy to flee youthful passions, for example, in 2 Timothy 2.22. Physical lust and passion does have a gravitational pull on a soul. Another youthful passion would, would be to, to make a name for yourself. Or I see a guy online always talking about becoming a millionaire. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money. But do you see, there's, there's a, a gravitational pull of the desire to become wealthy and established. Another youthful passion would be a passion to be liked and accepted by people whom you respect. Those kinds of things have a gravitational pull. The desire to be liked and accepted, the desire to become wealthy and established, to make a name for yourself, physical lusts, these all have a gravitational pull. And Paul is saying to flee these things. The closer you get to them, the more sure and definite that gravity is going to become in your life. Peter in 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. 
The passions of your flesh are not neutral. They wage war against your soul. So, worldly things like these have a gravitational pull, and they can throw you off course. So I would implore you to not invite temptation into your life. Do not exist too close to temptation. Flee from it. Paul says, those who do not wish to sin should not sit at the door of temptation. On this, it's also important not to surround yourself with things that aren't sins in themselves, but which can create an atmosphere which then gains strength against your soul. About five years ago, five or six years ago now, I remember being on an app. Now, if you're on this, no condemnation. I'm just telling you my own story. An app called Robinhood. It was a trading app. It was a, an investment app. And what you could do is you can invest a few dollars here, a few dollars there, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what was happening to me personally is this was having a gravitational pull on my soul because I would be invested, mentally invested in how the stocks were doing that day. And I was looking up YouTube videos on how to better invest my money. And these YouTube investor, investors had, had a certain ethos and personality to them that I realized after a certain amount of time there was a I was being pulled in that kind of direction of the successful businessman kind of direction so I took all my money out and deleted that because of what it was doing to my soul Michael Reeves a one theologian says like wax the heart will take the shape of that which warms it. Isn't that a great... Like wax, the heart will take the shape of that which warms it. So what gives you excitement and life and vitality? Maybe something like a Robin Hood app. Maybe something like a video game or something. But the problem is not those things themselves, but the fact that you are warming your heart with them and your heart will begin to take that shape. So, by way of wisdom and prudence, I would encourage you to assess what is it in your life that may have a gravitational pull on you. Could be something like trading, could be something, some leisure, and there is nothing wrong with those things, but every man must know his own soul how God is dealing with his own soul, and how Satan tries to tempt you. Have you ever tried to make a campfire? I know you have. But if you try to make a campfire, you have maybe one match. You get your kindling wood, you get your paper, and the, you light it, and the fire is just not starting. What do you do? You blow on that. You give it air. You give it some, some oxygen, and then the fire becomes inflamed. That's my vision of what Satan does with tendencies in a person. 
He takes your tendencies and inflames them. He gives it oxygen so it can breathe. And he will invite you into something that is not itself a sin, but has a gravitational effect on your soul, pulling you in to that which you ought not to be. So, brothers and sisters, flee worldliness and temptation. Again, this is not a list of do's and don'ts. I'm not, I'm not giving you legalism. I'm not giving you law. I'm giving you sanctified prudence. Understand how God deals with your own soul. And beware. Now, if you uh, one more point on the fleeing part. If you have times of feeling like you're just floating through the Christian life, and just feeling like there's no hunger, there's no desire, and you're not getting full victory, you're not having a, a burning zeal for the Lord, I wonder if it's because you're allowing too many things in your life that have a gravitational pull, bringing you every which way except forward. Too many points of gravity are just going to cause confusion and complexity in a soul rather than direction and order. So, think about these things. Because when you, when you anchor yourself in the Lord, refix your gaze on Him, remove what is unhelpful, those empty calories, and begin to move forward again, I know by experience that it is mentally and spiritually healing. There's, there's, a, there's a quickening that happens to you when you're moving in the right direction. There's a life, there's an order, direction. It's like I can draw a straight line with my soul again. When I've removed, not necessarily sin, but that which is pulling me off the course. So, don't surround yourself with things that have a negative gravity on your soul. Two, the next word is pursue. And we pursue because the Christian life is not simply about avoiding things. It's not a, this is not an avoidance game. More fundamentally, the Christian life is about pursuing something. Not just avoiding, but pursuing something. I remember a few weeks ago, we said that godliness aims at God. Remember, when I get up to bat, my goal is not to not strike out. My goal is to get a hit. So my focus is not in not failing or not being drawn into temptation. More ultimately, more fundamentally, my focus is aiming at godliness. And that's why Paul says to pursue the qualities of God in our life. He tells Timothy, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Those are qualities that we are called to pursue in the Christian life. To pursue means to run after. 
means to strive for. And why would you have to pursue these qualities? Why pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love? Answer, because Christian character is not given to you by passive infusion. Christian character is formed over a long period of obedience and testing and endurance. Christian character is not just fused into you when you became a Christian. Life was given to you. But just as physical life, you learn, you develop, you get stronger, spiritual life, I believe, is the same way. It's not just fused into you. You must work at it and put some exertion into the Christian life in order to, pro to progress. I'm reading an excellent book, or I finished reading an excellent book on the pursuit of holiness by Jerry Bridges, and he puts it like this. The experience of holiness is not a gift we receive like justification, but something which we are clearly exhorted to work at. So you are justified when you become a Christian, counted righteous, no condemnation. But holiness, sanctification, is not simply given to you. That's you, where you come in. You begin to work out your salvation because it's God who works in you. What about these six qualities, these six virtues? Righteousness. The word righteousness here could be confusing to some because I, you might say, well, I thought we were imputed with righteousness when we, when we became a Christ, Christian. And you are. But righteousness in the scriptures in the New Testament is used in two senses. It's imputed righteousness and it's ethical or moral or Christ-like righteousness. And Paul is clearly using righteousness in its ethical sense, not in its imputing sense. We see this in Matthew 5.20, where Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There are some that believe, that believe that's an imputed righteousness, mostly Lutheran brothers. Um, but I, I see that, and most scholars see that as an ethical righteousness. And it's a righteousness that goes beyond that of the Pharisees. Your righteousness must go beyond that of the Pharisees, not just remain in the external realm, but go beyond into the internal realm. And that's why Jesus talks about not just not murdering, but not hating. So it's a righteousness that goes beyond and penetrates to the internal man. Godliness, faith, Interesting, you are to pursue faith. Not just to have faith, but to pursue faith. In the midst of doubt and confusion, pursue faith. Love, not just be loving, but pursue intentionally. Pursue to be a loving man or woman. And that's often hard because, as we've said before, if love is patient, kind, is not, a, is not a braggart, 
these, all of these things imply a difficult situation. So lovingness implies that there's a difficulty. So it's not, you, it's not enough to say just be loving. Love flourishes in the face of difficult situations. Steadfastness, faithfulness over a long period of time, and gentleness, that's strength that is able to express itself in tenderness. So, the way I've been thinking about this is um, Christians don't just seek equilibrium or a state of equilibrium or balance in their life. What we need to seek is... Well, here's what I mean by that. A state of equilibrium would be to know who you are, to accept who you are, and to be who you are. And there's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but the Christian is, the referent point for the Christian life is not who I am. It's who Christ is. And so it's not, it's not enough to just know yourself and then be who you are. What, I, I told you before, there was a, a, a speaker at Nyack and the sentence that changed my life as a college student, or that helped change my life as a college student, is when he asked us, 20-year-olds sitting out there in the college gym, why would you want to be who you are? Be who Christ is. So that's what I mean by the referent point for the Christian life is not who I am. It's who Christ is. So I don't need to spend so much time wondering what my personality is most comfortable with or what my tendencies are and try to live into that. No. Be who Christ is. See who he is and be that way. So we don't live towards a state of equilibrium. We live towards Christ-like virtue. Um, let's see. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's been, that has been a very important discipline for me. It's not just a matter of wondering why one is melancholy and giving in to self-loathing. It's a matter of taking that thought and bringing it into the obedience of Christ. And the obedience of Christ says that joy is a moral category in virtue of Christ's promises for the future and his justification in the present. So you might say to me, well, Eric, you know, sweet, simple Eric. It's, it's not that easy all the time. You know, it's not just a matter of taking your thoughts captive. You're, you're very, very cavalier about all this. That is why I think the third word in our list is so important. Fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Again, we fight because because for the very reason that we've been brought into conflict with what is untrue, with what is evil, with the world, with the flesh, 
with the devil. So I never said that taking thoughts captive is easy. And I never mean to say that pursuing Christ-likeness is easy in a bed of roses. It is definitely not. That is why you fight the good fight of faith. Now, fight, first of all, implies an opponent. What's the Christian life like? It is not like casting a vote for a presidential candidate and hoping he works everything out. The Christian life is like, as John Bunyan so actually put it, like a progress towards glory, towards the celestial city. And along the way, there is Doubting Castle, there is the Bog of Despond, there is Vanity Fair, there is Worldly Wise Man, and there are certain dangers. And if you step off the road, you will be led astray. That's why Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those that find it are few. Not because Christ's burden is heavy. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. But the world is against you. And that's why you must fight. And we don't just fight. We fight the fight of faith. And it's a fight of faith that trusts in Christ, that puts your confidence in Christ, and move forward, and moves forward on the basis of that confidence. Um, so, I need to be exhorted to a more muscular Christianity. Or else I will exist in the bog of despond. Because that's my tendency. I need to be told, strengthen your weak knees and make straight the path for your feet. And I do see this throughout scripture. For those of you who tend to be passive, who tend to self-loathing, who tend to doubt, There are certain choice passages that are just weaved and threaded throughout the whole New Testament. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, Paul says. I love that. Not just, well, it's okay and pat your head. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He has given you his strength. Be strong in that strength. Paul says, I struggle with all his might that he powerfully works within me. I don't just have his might. I struggle with all his might that he powerfully works within me. Here's one of my favorites. 1 Corinthians 6, 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. I need that. And you know what, brothers? You need that too. Be strong in the faith and the strength of his might. Not just brothers, but sisters as well. 
We are called to be strong because you have the vitality and life of Christ pulsating through your life. Now produce fruit by his strength and his power. There are two men. There are two men during the Reformation era that were burned at the stake by Bloody Mary who is persecuting Christians because of their obedience to scripture. She was trying to bring back the Catholic Church. And she was persecuting these Christians. Uh, Latimer, and who is the other, other name of the Hugh Latimer and George Widley, Mr. Ridley. Mr. Ridley. And both of these men were set up to be burned in the stake in the middle of the street. Hmm? Back to back. On the stake in the middle of the street. And as the fire was lit, Latimer, with confidence and boldness, in the midst of death, said, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. In other words, be a man. For this day we shall light a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. I love the manly, confident strength in that. As he was being burned at the stake, be a man, Mr. Ridley. Today we light a candle in England that will never be put out, a torch. So, when sorrows like sea billows roll, when the world is closing in on you, cling to the promises of God. Take it in like food. Take strength for your soul and move forward. Many of you will struggle with doubt in the Christian life. So for this is an example. Doubt in the Christian life. The way you fight the good fight of faith is to cast yourself on God's mercy, just like the man we read about in the Gospels, and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Many of you will struggle with self-loathing and perhaps even depression. What you need is to bring your mind to Psalm 42 and ask yourself, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in the Lord. Or Lamentations 3.23. I remember the wormwood and the gall, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Or when circumstances in life come against you, and they are constantly set against you. Medical bad news. A family struggle. A constant battle in your life that is threatening your family or your health or your very existence. Be like Hezekiah. Write, write it down. Just like when, when I, I forget who the army was, I think Bab, um, 
Babylon, not Babylon. But the army against Israel came. Was it the Persians? I have to check it now. But um, came and um, they gave a letter to Hezekiah, essentially saying, we are going to tear down the city. We are going to kill your men, rape your daughters. And we are going to do it, and we're going to siege the city, and you will all die. You know, give up. And so Hezekiah took the letter, went to the temple, and laid it before the Lord, and prayed and bowed his head. And the Lord slaughtered the enemies overnight. So the way you fight for faith is you lay things before the Lord. Seek the Lord and his presence. Seek his strength continually. Some of you will struggle with assurance in the Christian life. And constantly have the whisper of Satan in your ear. What you do in that case is you join your soul to the words of Paul and say, I know in whom I believe. And I am confident he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. See with supernatural eyes. We constantly talk about the world falling down around us. And this is surely, the mo- I was just telling Nidia the other day, the most foolish presidential cabinet I have ever seen in my life. But, even if our country does come to a place where they're persecuting Christians, see with supernatural eyes. My favorite, perhaps my favorite story in the Old Testament is when Elisha is standing with his protege and they see the army coming at them. That's, and, um, and the protege is very nervous if people are coming at you trying to kill you as you stand on this puny city wall. And Elijah prays, Lord, open his eyes. And the protege sees a field of angels surrounding the area, surrounding that army. There are more for us than there are for them, Elijah says. Brothers and sisters, no matter what happens to our country, there are more for us that be for them. There is more strength. There are more angels. There are more principalities. There is more power, and there is more hope that be for them. So let your heart take courage on that truth. What I'm encouraging you to do is to believe, take the promises of God, and live towards them. When you pray, take the promises of God and pray it. Ray Alvarenga always does that. I always respected the way he prays because he always takes something from Scripture and he prays on the basis of that fact. So I'm, I've actually learned that from you, Ray. Thank you. Take a, take a truth from Scripture, take a reality from Scripture, and pray on the basis of that fact. That's what I'm encouraging you to do, not just in prayer, but in the Christian life. Take a promise. Tailor to your situation and live towards that promise. 
So, fight the good fight of faith. Continue to persevere. Do not give your confidence. Do not give in to doubt. Wrestle. And if, if necessary, wrestle with God. And if you walk with a limp, you limp into the kingdom by his grace and by his strength and by his power. Paul is constantly using athletic examples in the Bible, in the New Testament. I don't box as one beating the air. We run to attain an eternal crown. That's an Olympic metaphor. So he's constantly using athletic me metaphors because they are, they are appropriate in characterizing the struggle of the Christian life. It is, it is a struggle. Uphill, you are running. But the good thing about being an athlete, whether it's a physical or spiritual athlete, is you get a second wind. wind. And when your blood starts pumping and you start moving in the right direction with vigor and energy and strength, you begin to notice your legs are no longer as sore. You begin to notice that there is breath in your lungs and that your, your muscles begin to, to have vitality in them. If you don't warm up, you won't be able to do those things. But as you move in the right direction with strength and vitality, you will be primed for what you're doing. Same with the Christian life. Begin moving in the right direction with his strength and power, and God will allow the, the quickness and the life of his son to flow through you more fully. A body in motion, motion is one that stays in motion. Lastly, the last, I said it's a word, but it's a couple words. Take hold of the eternal life to which you've been called. And I see this as kind of the, the summary of it all. Don't simply float through your spiritual life. Don't, don't by the mercies of God, do not let the Christian life just happen to you. Because it won't just happen to you. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. If it were not for these exhortations, I would be a depressed person on the floor. But I need to be told by God's grace and mercy to strengthen my weak knees and make straight the path for my feet. Don't let the Christian life, don't think the Christian life will just happen to you on a daily basis. It won't. You take hold of it. So to, the, to those of you who are prone to be apathetic, passive, and indifference, I encourage you to memorize, embrace, and live towards this passage, knowing that the Christian life is an uphill pursuit which is not unpleasant. I don't mean to say it's a struggle, it's a grind, you're going to hate it the whole time, and it's horrible, and then we'll finally get there. No. The, the man who found buried treasure hidden in a field sold all that he had in his joy. 
Jesus said. And in his joy, he bought the field that represents the kingdom of God. So it's because of and for joy that you buy these things, that you fight the good fight of faith in the Christian life. To take hold in the Greek means to grab tightly, just like it does in the English. So I don't know why I give you Greek words sometimes, but to grab tightly, to take hold of with intensifying force. So don't just, don't just float around wondering why you're not feeling it in the Christian life. Take hold of it. Live towards it and endure in steadfastness and love and hope. So, O man of God, O woman of God, don't stagnate in the Christian life. Know that you will not have victory from sin. You will not attain Christian character simply by waiting around. Take hold of the Christian life and, and to the eternal life to which you've been called. And there's great hope in that. Here's a great book called Holiness by J.C. Ryle. And he talks about fighting in hope. I like this passage. He says, Let us settle our minds that the Christian fight is a good fight. Really good. Truly good. Emphatically good. Though we see only part of it now. We see the struggle, but not the end. We see the battle, but not the reward. We see the cross, but not the crown. We see a few humble broken-spirited, penitent, praying people, enduring hardships and despised by the world, but we see not the hand of God over them, the face of God smiling on them, and the kingdom of glory prepared for them. That is what you don't see, but that is truly what you have in Christ Jesus. So fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you've been called. That's the way we build a healthy church. Let's close in a word of prayer.